This is Radiance Tape Number CA6B, Part 2 of Functioning Authority, with Jim Durkin and elders from the Lighthouse Ranch and Gospel Outreach Ministries. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. For instance, on the subject of work, there's no more argument in our body that we should work. New converts come in, I don't care what their attitude's been about work. If they're truly converted, a sound, solid conversion, they look and see everybody working, they say, oh, I guess new new Christians work and old Christians. Praise the Lord. Where do I get the work? Here's your shovel. Okay. But in the beginning, when we told them work, work! What do you say? Work! Who? Who? And there's really a riot out there for a time. Somebody, I thought, did I say something evil out here? You know what, what, what? But when that crisis passed, then work is established as a principle in the body. But it wasn't always that way. So as authority was beginning to manifest itself in the early days of the ranch, simple rules of behavior were laid down. One of these rules was, now you're going to have to hear it because it sounds here again as authority exercising itself but it's godly authority if you don't work or won't work is what we really said then you don't eat see and someone said oh brother how could you say a thing like that I didn't say a thing like that God said something like that and I merely said this is what God says and this is what we must do References, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, 1 Thessalonians 4.11 and 12. The Amplified especially is good at that. It was taught that those at the ranch had strong, able bodies and were responsible to support themselves and the weak, those who couldn't work. See, a man who couldn't work, we took care of him. It was those who could work and wouldn't work. We said, then you don't eat. This authority caused them all to go to work. It caused the ones with weakness to realize their limitations, so therefore they called on that authority for help, and that further established the authority. Now, Bob Means, would you like to come and explain what happened to your life, what you saw? Praise the Lord. I had the privilege. I'm not really sure of the number, but I was about the fifth person out at the ranch, maybe sixth around that number, when it first got started. And there was a few concepts out at the ranch that, they sound scriptural, but they really weren't scriptural. That, and, it, and it's, it says that the Lord will provide for us, and that's true. But yet, he, sometimes He provides in ways that, you know, that somewhat spiritual people don't think that He's supposed to provide for. Sometimes you're going to have to go out and work for your provision. Well, we didn't necessarily think that was so. And uh, so when Jim came out to the ranch. He laid down this first principle that if you don't work, you don't eat. So as I was, uh, in the, when I was in the world, I, I always worked and I had pretty good work habits, so it really wasn't that big of a shock to me. But to some people, it was quite a shock. And some people actually had really no concept of what work was. So when they heard that principle laid down, they naturally kind of blew out and, and, uh, we lost a few. So the first thing we did was made these um, little uh, handouts, and we went all over town. And we started passing these out and said, we're Christians, we live out at the Lighthouse Ranch, and we want to work. We want to help the community, we want to support ourselves, 
and provide for our own. We'll do anything. We'll, uh, we'll rake. We'll clean up yards. We'll paint houses. You name it, we'll do it. So the, the, the one thing about when you do something like that, people start calling up, you know. And uh, I was put on the, I had the duty of the odd jobs foreman. And so I had to take these brothers out that really, they, they, they understood the concept now that they wanted to work, or they, they needed to work, but yet they really didn't know how to work. And uh, so here I was. I remember one of the jobs we had was a, we got a pretty far out job. It was a landscaping job. I'd done a little landscaping. We had to pour concrete and, uh, you know, it was a pretty heavy job. And if you've never done anything like that before in your whole life, you know, and I remember, I remember the first time I tried to lift up a wheelbarrow full of concrete, man. I couldn't get it out of the ground, off the ground hardly. I made two steps and it was all over the ground. I didn't know quite what to do, you know, but after a little bit of experience, I learned how to handle the wheelbarrow. But some people didn't know how to handle the wheelbarrow. So we finally got him out to work, and here I had this, this picture of how this, how these great Christians were going to go out and really show the community how wonderful we were and really do a fantastic job. And I said, oh, thank you, Jesus, I see the vision. So here I went, I ran out there and, come on, fellas, got our wheelbarrows and ordered our concrete and set up our forms. Then the truck came. I had a terrible time setting the forms, and I, I began to realize that these brothers <coughs> really needed some help. And uh, so then my spirituality started to show up if I was really spiritual or not, because I was the person in authority. So I began to teach him. I says, you know, it was easy for me to do it because, but I really needed help in a lot of areas. It wasn't easy. That works not easy at all. But I mean, you can learn the principles and it's, the layout and everything is somewhat easy. And the brothers, they started helping me. But the harder I wanted them to work, it seems the less they understood. Until finally, when I got back home, you know, in the world, it's a different, it's a different setup. You know, if the guy can't do it, you just fire him and get somebody that can. You know what I mean? The guy can't cut the mustard, man. Just get rid of him, and then the next guy can come along, you know, and maybe he can do better. But in the Christian world, you can't do that, can you? You, Sometimes you wish you could, but you can't. So I remember the first day I got back, the authority was established. As I went to Jim, and I said, help. (laughs) And that established the authority. I need your help. What do I do here? So, after much talking and counsel, we went back out and the jobs got done and the brothers began to, uh, to understand and constant, constant working with them and counseling with them and helping them and showing them. In the world, you just say, hit it, man. Hit the road. But with Jesus in your life, you can't do that because you're that servant. You see? You're that servant. You say, okay, I'll show you how to do it. Hand me your shovel a minute. And you begin to show them. And then you have to be that example. I remember one time, uh, this one brother I had, we were digging up this lawn, you know, and I was really wanting to get done because we were going for about three bucks an hour, and that was the highest we ever made so far, and I really wanted to do a good job for these guys. And this guy's kind of shoveling there. You know, just 
barely doing it, and he'd look around and maybe he'd sit down and read the Word for a while, and I'd say, oh, Lord, you know, and you'd try to go up and exhort him not to read the Word. <laughs> the guy goes, what? You don't want me to read the Word? I says, well, yeah, I want you to read the Word, but not right now. <laughs> well, okay. So they put their Bible down, and finally, so here I'm just going to town, just digging like crazy, trying to dig for three people, you know, and my back's killing me. But it's that servant, and, and the one thing I want to get, I want to bring out here is how that established is, that authority is established. Really, if you're seeking authority, you're crazy. You really are. You're, you're just nuts. And if you can receive this, I, I just wish you really would, because if you're receiving authority, you're, you're, you'll probably, if you're, if you're seeking authority, you'll probably get it. You see? You will. You'll somehow, You'll, you can work hard enough to receive this authority, but uh, man, you sure are going to wish you never had it. But when the Lord gives you that authority, see, because when you come into authority, crisis is going to come into your life. And God is going to, and, and if you're in that rightful place of authority, the grace of God is going to be upon you. And you see, in the, in, in, the, in the world, it's easy now. Now, don't get me in the world, it's easy. You can just say, man, if you can't cut the mustard, get out of there. Now, that's easy. Now, in, the, in a way, that's grace. You see? In some sense of the word, that's a type of grace because you can always get rid of the problem by getting rid of the person. But in your Christian walk, when you come into authority, you can't do that. It's that God's grace of strength that comes upon you so you can fulfill that that task that the Lord has, has called you to fulfill. So I just thought I'd share how authority was established in my own life. You see, the point there is that with the vision came that great responsibility to see those brothers raised up. And this man had also caught the vision. And whereas he would have wanted to do one of two things, either get out of being the odd jobs foreman, which is what he was, and have to take these brothers out. And he's told some funny stories. And I know that those things happen. A good many of them I know uh, of a certainty because I heard them different ways. But uh, I tell you, he has a way of telling them to just add something extra special to it. But uh, blessed graphic ability to explain something. Has the gift of a teacher. And he's been set apart for that work. And the body I know will be hearing from him for too many days. He's been a great blessing to us. But he could have got out of the job by just saying, I won't do that job anymore. And I just said, well, okay. Okay. But he caught the vision. And I said, brother, do you see that by what you're doing, the service you're rendering, that they're being raised up? Stay with it. Now today, he wouldn't even think of asking a thing like that. What I ask him to do, he'll go and do because he understands authority in a greater measure. But he caught that much of the vision. And I said, stay in there. Help those brothers to be raised up. Now, because he stayed in there, he himself is in a position of great responsibility today. And many of those brothers who were blown out, twisted off, and fouled up are today fine, solid Christians ministering the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we could have gotten rid of all of them because they were all problem cases. Today... They're helping problem cases, hallelujah. But he caught the vision, see? The vision. 
I can't tell you how important that is. You must simply preach it and lay it down and explain it to people. And when they see it, then they're willing to sacrifice all kinds of things in order to see that vision fulfilled. Now, as the ranch grew, it became evident that some were only there because they liked the atmosphere, yet there was no real change in their lives. Maybe they were saved, I don't know. I think most of them were not, but I don't know that either. A process of weeding seemed necessary. The rest of the people on the ranch had to be trained to keep the work from being overrun by those really not a vital part of the work, seemed to have other interests, which normally was themselves. At first, these people, they were approached and counseled, gently counseled, and then more and more strongly counseled. They were prayed for, but after a time, if there was no change and no response, we asked them to leave with the invitation to return after they had had a chance to see what the world was really like after having experienced being with people who really loved them. Now, this is a policy that we have followed and has produced tremendous fruit. I cannot say that we have always been right. I can only tell you that we have done something which has appeared workable. People were there at the ranch. They said, we like it here, but we don't care about the vision. We don't care much about listening to the word. We don't want to go to church. We don't want to come to chapel. We don't want, I mean, we finally told them, well, that's just a part of the way we do things here. And we want you to become a part of it. And if they couldn't see that, we'd let them go quite a long time sometimes. And we say, look, you've experienced love here, but apparently you don't really know what that world's like out there and why we've come here and why we're doing the things we're doing. Now, you you leave for a while, and then if after a time, when you see what that world's like out there, you see there's something of value here, you come back and give yourself to it. And we see many of those people go away, some threatening never to come back, and some didn't, but a good many came back and said, Brother, I want Jesus Christ. I want to hang it all up for the Lord. When they came in that time, they were ready to give everything to the Lord. Now I'm going to have our brother Peter DePomo come here because he was here in the early part of that when we had to deal with some of those cases. As a matter of fact, his blessed wife was one of those cases. <laughs> but she's right here now. She, I, I ought to have her up here tell that <laughs> her little story too. Praise the Lord. Peter, come along. Once that vision was established, so we took it, I remember it was taken down to the nitty-gritty, right down to the bare, what do you want to do? Do you want to live in a commune or in a club and just dig it, look at the scenery and, and kind of dig this little place out on this point overlooking the ocean, beautiful sunsets? Or do you want to receive what the Word of God says you are? men and women of the living God, here by grace, born again by grace, to do a vital work that he has for us to do. If you want to do that, then you want to do the Word of God. And the Word of God instructs us what to do. Work when it's time to work. Pray when it's time to pray. Do whatever we have to do when it's time to do that. I remember when we, in the young stages of the ranch, it was incredible. The days, all day long, we were just talking 
to the different brothers and sisters that had a hard time seeing that. But it's very simple once we see a work of God for what it is. Is it a work of God? If it's a work of God, let's do what God says to do. Then it's easy. Then they say, no, I don't want to do that. Oh, well, you don't want to be here. No, I want to be here, but I don't want to do the word of God. That's, that's absurd. You can't do that. That's impossible. You either want to do the word of, you want to stay here and grow up in Him, in Jesus Christ, and do the word of God, live the word of God, learn what the Spirit of God has, has for us today. Drink in the sincere milk of the word. Grow up to learn how to chew so you could eat meat. If you want to do that, then you want to stay here. And you want, you want to do whatever it would be. Whatever it would be. I bless God for my, my, first, my first job at the ranch. It was fantastic. I, at, two weeks ago, before that, I... You, I'd tell you that I wouldn't want to do that in no uncertain terms. But I, I was just saved and they gave me to clean out the chicken coop, which was, chicken coops are interesting places. <laughs> and I got to clean that out and I, it was a blessing, it was so fantastic. I experienced joy in doing something that, <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> It was, you know how chickens can do it all over the place. But anyway, it was a blessing. So I, I, I experienced be able to joyfully do a task that isn't naturally attractive. Well, anyway, that was the first experience of joy doing something that, you know, like that. But the, 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 uh, the counseling sessions with the people, with the, the different men and women that were teeter-tottering, you know, was if we took it all the way down to, do you want to be a part of the, the body of Christ, the moving of Jesus Christ now here, or do you want to maybe some other place is better for you? It's up to the, it's 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 up to you. You make the decision. Well, I don't want to make a decision. That is a decision. See. You want to do it according to the Word of God or you don't want to do it. It's simple. God bless you. Now what this produced in the brothers and sisters that were there is a decision to do two things. Number one, to take an increasingly bold stand on the Word of God itself. In other words, here was something that God required them to do. They did it. And they were beginning to preach with much greater boldness the truths of God's word, and more and more people were beginning to be converted. Now, you might think on the face of it that when you pursue that kind of a policy, the place is just going to disappear. I mean, people are going to be gone, and you don't have anything left. Well, I can tell you quite the contrary to a place. People just seem to stream in in a steady stream of people until... Now the thing has expanded in a number of directions, and yet Dave Wilmarth, who's now our coordinator there, tells me that we've run out of room in the boys' dorm and are putting people out on the lawn and every place else. So you see, this leads into the next subject, 
And that subject our brother Ron Junkel is going to cover, and here's the subject. It's simply this, that when you lay down God's vision and God's way, a certain group of people begin to gather around that vision and around that way. When you lay down a slightly different pattern, you just change it just a little bit, a different group of people begin to gather around. You change it a little more, and a different group of people. You change it more, and a different group of people begin to gather. Now, you have to decide which group of people you want to elder. Because God's word laid down in truth will produce a certain kind of gathering. A different laying down, a whole different gathering. And whenever you have this gathering of people that's built on a foundation other than the truths of God's word, when you begin to move back to the truth of God's word, you create crisis. Just the preaching of the word creates crises. In our particular church, which Sunday last had somewhere around, I don't know, 375, 400 people in it, it's crowding out the Veterans Memorial Hall, we're thinking of doing something else. At the time I took over that little church, it had about, oh, it built up at one time under my ministry there to 114, 30, 130, something of this nature, something over 100. And then as I began to be convicted of the Lord to minister the Word of God as God had really shown it to me and to produce the change in my life, I can tell you by a series of happenings, the church went down to five people. Now, someone would think that was a disaster. I'm going to tell you of a certainty that was the nucleus upon which the entire work began to grow. Because one night while I was ministering to those people, it was a little bit larger group than the five had grown to about 14 or 15, we didn't even meet in a sanctuary because the crowd was so small. We met in a little back room in the church. And one night I was ministering on the principle of faith. And I can remember to this day because of what happened on the inside to my spirit. And I was standing ministering to this little crowd of people. And I was ministering on the subject faith, hope, charity, these three. And I explained to them how hope was always in the form of a promise from God. That's why these words are linked together, faith, hope, and charity. Hope was in the form of a promise from God. And whenever the faith, which works by love, which charity really means, whenever the faith, which works by love, takes hold of hope, it's transformed into a living reality at this point. And that's how God gives to us a vision that's transformed into a reality. He presents this vision. That's the hope that God gives. We reach out with it with a faith which works by love, faith, hope, and love. And that becomes a reality. And I explained, I said, when this powerful mixture is put together, the promise of God and the faith which is in us, which works by love, and these things are mixed together, that thing becomes a reality, and that which God has spoken comes to pass now and here in our lives. And as I said it, the people seized on it, this little group. And in my own spirit, if, if you know what those little magnets are that you put in a potholder that you sew in the seam or the hem and you stick it up on a refrigerator and it hangs there, I've had a, a group of those. I'd play with them. I'd pull them apart and get them closer and closer. And finally, we get them enough proximity, they all rush to go and go click, 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 click. And they all, it was like that in my spirit. And I went home and I said, honey, or maybe I said bug bug. I don't know. That's what I sometimes call my wife. Anyhow, I said, 
a nucleus has been formed tonight. Something happened and the people came together. There's one mind and one accord in this body and they've taken hold of the vision. And they had seized on it. And it was just a short time after that that David Leon walked into my office and then the work began to just take off in every direction. It never stopped since. So I simply say to you, that it is an absolute necessity that you minister the Word of God in a straight and honest... I don't mean hard, a club beating people over the head or yelling and screaming at them, but I mean straight, that you minister the truth and explain it to them so they thoroughly understand it and then tell them they must do it. Urge them on to action. Then you begin to see changes. Now, our brother Ron Jungles had some personal experience with this, and I'd like him to come right now and minister what is on his particular heart. Brother Ron. Lord, amen. As we approach this portion of the subject, uh, uh, sometimes in order to minister a balanced diet, I can't really minister the whole portion, so I don't want you to see this portion of Scripture will be really delving into uh, just one aspect, and I don't want you to think that it's out of balance, but it's balanced with what all the other brethren have to say here. So uh, if you just keep it in context of the rest of the men here, You'll be able to uh, understand what's on my heart, I think. Um, one scripture that uh, is really strong in my heart that I continuously minister and, uh, and share to everyone, and, and I have that kind of a zeal on that, on that side of the picture, and I'm balanced by other members of the body, is, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus was pretty blunt. He was pretty straightforward. As we've been uh, going through the Gospels uh, consecutively and sharing and, and teaching, and teaching the New Testament, we see that Jesus came and just pretty well came straight forward right out front. He went into the wilderness and, and was tempted. And right after that, he came preaching, repent for the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is at hand. Repent now. Okay, well, that's a pretty strong message. Most of us don't even like that word. We make leather belts and we put the word repent on it. And people, what? What? Repent? What a bummer. You know what? That just means change. That's all. But we're scared of words that are strong. And I tend to have these two groupings. We have the one super uh, right wing and the super left wing. It might, you might see maybe the children of God way out to one, one, one angle there, or maybe the super radicals, a governmental type of a deal. And then out to the other end, I call them the 1 Corinthians 13 group that are way out here. They're all they can talk about is 1 Corinthians 13. All they can talk about is love. And, but they're never able to say a word, repent. Why not? Jesus said it. He said it very fluently, just right out front. Repent is what you need to do. See? And so we have to look at that side of the personality of Christ. How many of you want to become conformed to the image of the Son? Is there anyone in here that wants to become conformed to that image? Well, he had no problem saying repent. No problems at all. If you do, maybe you're out of balance on the 1 Corinthians 13 side, okay? If so, let's bring you back in a little ways. If you're out of balance on the other end, I may, I may do more harm than good here. Hallelujah. Maybe some of the other brothers will give you a hand. Jesus put it straight forward. God put it straight forward. He wasn't messing around. In Numbers 16, uh, we have a picture here of Korah and Abiram. And, and a few of the others, they came up to, to Moses, and, and here's what they said to him. They said, And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, 
This was with 250 of the high religious leaders of that time. And, and they came to Moses and, and they said, uh, You take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation here are holy and every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Therefore, then, why do you lift yourself up above the congregation of the Lord? So they came to the person in authority. And as long as we're speaking of authority here, they came to the person of authority. And these were the princes of the land. There were about three million of them out there. And these were some of the high leaders. And they came and they said, Moses, who do you think you are trying to exalt yourself above us? Don't you think we're spiritual too? Well, aren't we all the temple of God? Do you agree on that? Yeah, we're only a temple of God. Then why am I up here speaking and you sitting in that seat? Oh, you can say, well, Ron, what are you standing up there for, man? I am, I'm just as much a temple of God as you are, aren't I? And I'll bet that in the hearts of some of the individuals here, as each person has come up to speak, you may have had a little jealousy in your heart, saying, man, why is he up there speaking and not me, blah, blah, blah. Is there anybody who's had little tinges of that even during this, during this time here? Just a little bit, man, how come they say, and why do I, you know, blah, blah, blah. Any number of trips that might come up with. It says, and Moses heard it, and fell on his face before God. He didn't hear it say, oh, you bunch of rebels, get back, you know. It says, Moses, the shepherd, heard it and fell on his face. Okay, he went down before God. A man in authority doesn't like to have to wield authority. If he likes to wield authority, there's problems. There's real problems there. Because as soon as he likes to wield authority, he's in trouble. So he says, Gets down before God. Says, oh, Lord God, help him. And so the Lord works out the whole situation here. And as we go on a little, little further, um, we find out that, that it says here in verse 12, And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram and the sons of Eliab, which said, We will not come up. So they just rebelled against him, open rebellion. Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of the land which floweth with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, except thou make thyself... Altogether, a prince over us? Listen to the accusations they're running down about Moses. And Moses was very wroth and said unto the Lord, Respect thou not their offering. I have not taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. And Moses said unto Korah, Be thou and all thy company before the Lord, thou and they and Aaron tomorrow. Amen. Out front, he said, what's the, just a little bit earlier, he said, what's the matter with what, what you have? See, one of them, Korah, was a priest, a Levite. See, And he says, what's the matter with what you've got? How come you're still striving? What, do you want my position too? You want my position in the body as well as your own? How come you're not happy with what you have? They kept pushing and said, no, man, why do you? Look at you, exalting yourself like a prince over the body, and so on and so forth. And Moses, it says, went down before the Lord again. Went down before the Lord again. And finally, the Lord got sick of this rebellion, just tired of it. He saw that there was no way out. And it says in verse 20, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell upon their faces and said, O oh God, the God of spirits and of flesh, shall one man sin, and wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? And the Lord spake and said, Separate yourselves just from these few here. They separated themselves, and it says they just backed them all off, and Moses and Aaron were sent out to get them out of the tents of these people, and it says the earth opened up and swallowed them. How many of you love that God? You do? Hallelujah. Well, that's the same kind of God that might say, for the sake of a whole body, 
Brother, you may have to leave this body. You may have to leave this place. Brother, you may not be able to stay. Now, the pastor's heart is going to say, Father, isn't there some way out? Father, can we just one more chance? Can't we just pray for him? And Father, you might even fast for him and get down before him for days and days at a time. God Almighty, please, Lord, do a perfect work in this man's heart. But then might come the time when God says, separate him. (coughs) Separate him. Well, God's message to his people has never been a light one. Never been a light one. The situations, we're not talking about the difference maybe in this situation was between salvation and not. This was his chosen people. But there's other situations, and, and, and those of you that might be able to relate to them here as we go through the New Testament. Jesus, I know in, in John 6 is, is a message I've preached time and time again. Jesus kept pushing them and pushing them and pushing them. He says, you must eat my body and drink my blood. And they kept saying, wait a second. You know, and they said, what, what are you talking about? He says, I mean eat my body and drink my blood. They said, well, come on, you must mean... He said, I mean eat my body and drink my blood. And they finally said, wow. He says, many of them couldn't even hear it. He says, they just... Wait a second. And what it says is, they, he says, many of his disciples began to murmur among themselves. His disciples began to murmur among themselves and said, man, this is a hard saying, it says in John 6. It says, it's a hard saying. Can you hear that? And the little old man pointed out to me, and I've passed this on many times, it might, might help you, that in John 6, 6, 6, it says, and many of his disciples turned back and walked with him no more. Many of his disciples turned back and walked with him no more in John 6, 6, 6. His disciples turned off to him. Not the heathens, not the many times that Jesus walked into the temple and said, Woe unto you! And we just studied this last week. Jesus went to the Pharisees. The Pharisees invited him over for dinner. Hey, Jesus, how about coming over for dinner? He says, Sure, man, I'll be able to. So he goes over to the person's house. He sits down and they said, Hey, Jesus, what about this? He says, You hypocrite. So don't you know that you're just putting somebody on? The lawyer says, yeah, but what about, he says, and you too, you lawyer. Man, you're a hypocrite from the word go. I think I'll have another bite of these uh, vegetables here. They're pretty good. He's sitting down eating dinner with the Pharisees, just blowing them right out of the water. And then a couple chapters later, it says, and the Pharisees invited him over to dinner again. Why did they invite him over to dinner again? We were talking about a Holy Hubert. He's a real hellfire preacher. The, the instructors on the campus invite him to dinner. And he tells them right where they're at every time and they invite him back. Why? Why? Because we don't dig being rebels, man. We don't dig being rebels. There's something inside of us that hates it, man. But we keep doing it anyway, see? That's the idea. We hate it in a weird way, but we keep doing it anyway. See, we don't like to be rebels. This is the idea. But sometimes for a rebel's sake, for a rebel's sake, the message has got to be direct. And Jesus made it direct. And it says that all those disciples split. He says there were 12 left. And Jesus, it says, then turns to the 12 and looks at them. He says, you guys going to go too? You going to go too? It doesn't show a, a little paranoid Jesus running after everybody as they go out the door. Please, hey, I didn't mean that. Wait a second. That was spiritual. Uh, you know, I mean, I was just meaning blah, blah, blah. There's 12 left in this great big hall of all of his disciples. He looks at them. You guys, there's a door. You know, right there. Go. If you can't handle it, go. They said, where do we have to go? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the one. Where are we going to go? 
He says, ah, those are the ones I'll use to bring the message to the world. Those are the ones I'll use to bring the message to the world. And that little 12, that little 12 is why you and me are sitting here today. See, the 12 that didn't walk out. And I'll tell you, I've had experiences in my life when I've taken brothers and sisters that were my sons in the Lord. Or people that I'd led to the Lord and raised them up in the Lord and they've just flat out thrown rebellion right in my face. I've said, brother, that's it, back off. And they've gone and done their own trip. Just this last week, one of them came back after a year and a half he's been gone. He just sat down across the table from me and said, Ron, he says, nothing has gone right since I left. He says, you know what finally brought me to the conclusion? He says, I sat down with this other brother and I began to finally be ministering to him on authority. And he says he just started rebelling against everything I had to say and just walked out. He says, at that moment, I just saw what God was trying to say. Man, you walked away from it once, and you better go back to it and pick up where you left off. See, so you're going to have to pay a price. You want to follow Jesus? You're going to pay a price. You're going to watch friends, brothers and sisters. Paul said, man, that he was persecuted by false brethren. Paul also came to the Galatian church who loved him. He said, man, you'd pluck your eyes out and you'd give them to me last time I was here. Now I come and you're treating me like an enemy? See, sometimes you're going to have to get stiff even on those that you love. Brothers and sisters, you try and salvage your work by, by babying some rebels. You try and salvage your work by trying to keep everybody in and not lose one. And brother and sister, you might as well pack up your work and throw it out into the county dump because it's going to go downhill fast. You might keep a few of them in there, but it won't grow. And then you might purge it down to 12 and you'll see something like this happen. See, you'll see it last forever. And in a little place in Philemon, in a little place in Philemon, it's kind of nice where he says, yeah, Paul's he's writing this letter to, to the slave owner. He says, brother, it might be that he just ran away for a little while, that he might come back forever. So I'll tell you, you know, put forth the straight gospel. Don't water it down. You water it down, you're cutting your own throat and the throats of the people that are in your congregation. I hope some of you are beginning to get some grasp of the purpose of spiritual authority. The purpose of spiritual authority has only one end in mind, the upbuilding of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not the tearing down, but the upbuilding. And we're merely trying to say that each step we took following God's pattern, the work built. Now, I bring to you one more principle, and then I'm going to let you go for tonight. Authority must realize its limitations and raise up others, charging them with heavy responsibilities. Now, I point that out to you. If you want to be the only authority in your body, then you can always expect to have a vast influx of up to five people. <laughs> authority must realize its limitations. You're limited. I'm limited. I have certain things... Because of certain gifts, I do better than other things. I don't do anything too well. But some things I do better than others. Other things I do poorly. Some things I can't do at all. Now, it doesn't mean I couldn't do those things. If I really devoted myself, I could. But it's not my bailiwick. It's not my gift. And as the body begins to grow, the force of limitation comes on me. And I realize I need help, and I need it bad. 
So authority must realize its limitations and thus raise up others, charging them with heavy responsibilities. They've caught the vision. They all have it. Now you raise up some. Authority is limited and weak when those in prime authority, in other words, the one God sent with the vision originally, are fearful of letting go of total daily control. Now, in other words, maybe you're able to do something better than the guy you're raising up. But you let him do it anyhow, even though he's not as good as you are at that point. You've got to let go of total daily control. You just simply have to let go of it. Now, it doesn't mean you can't remain in final authority. In our own work, I am. I can enter into any part of it and override a decision or turn it. Although, in practice, I can't remember the last time I made a decision, say, about the Lighthouse Ranch. It's been a year or so. When have I been out there last? I snuck out one time for 15 minutes once, wasn't it? Yes, praise the Lord. And I love that place. But it's running so well, I don't have to be there anymore. But the time came when I couldn't leave that place, not for a day hardly. Or I'd start to go off the land and people rush up. Where are you going? Where are you going? Man, this problem, that problem, the other problem. Oh, I, I, I say, well, how about this and do this and do that? And I ran everything, single-handed. Oh, 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 oh. And gradually began to raise others up. And they say, don't leave today. You have No, I say, you're in charge of that. You do that. Oh, but I don't, I don't know what you know. You know enough. Goodbye. <laughs> and I take off. And sometimes I go for three days and I come back and they say, Brother, you can't leave like that. Crisis happened. This happened. These guys came. False doctrine to all that. Oh, oh, yeah. I thought, oh boy, oh boy, I can't leave this place. I'm really needed here. But God gave me a teaching a long time ago and it has to do with being a parent. And I tell you, the job of every parent is to make themselves progressively more useless to that child until finally they're completely useless to the child. And they're no longer needed, they're just wanted and loved. And so the whole purpose is to get your child not more dependent upon you, but where they're not dependent upon you at all. Then they've grown up, see? And they're perfectly free. Then if you die or something happens, they grieve maybe, they miss your fellowship, but they're able to function on their own. So the point is to make yourself useless. So I raised these people up and trained them and taught them, and then I, I got a chance at letting them work. I go away. First one day, and three days, and four days, and six days. And one day I came back and I said, Why, Jim, when you were gone, you don't have them? No, what? Fourteen people were saved, seven filled with the Spirit of God. We did this, look over here, I said, man, you ought to go away more often. Wonderful things happen here. I said, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. See, becoming useless. That's the whole principle of it. See, But if you want to stay there so that everyone comes to you and say, oh, Brother Durkin, would you give us the milk bottle again today? <laughs> say, yes, my son. Out of my endless supply, I will give you milk today. <laughs> now, you can remain in absolute control. Say, oh, wow, everybody looks to him. Baloney. See? Make yourself useless. Hallelujah. I sometimes think that's what we are. Anyhow, we might as well admit it and get it over with. All right. I'm going to let my brother Tom Kennedy come up here and tell you how he found how useless I really was. The principle Brother Durkin was talking about of, of raising up a man, raising up a group of men to take over responsibility, 
not to just come into a position of secondary responsibility so that we have a bunch of little lieutenants sitting around us, so that we have a, a, a collection of little puppets sitting around us who, who jump whenever we say, now, now jump, now, now it's your turn, now, now it's your turn. And now they all jump right on cue. But to really raise men up so that we do literally become useless literally become useless. To do this is to understand an essential principle of the Word of God. And to show the, the wonderful value of this principle in my life and the workings of it in my life, I want to talk about two experiences I had at the Lighthouse. It's been, it's been over a year and a half now since I've been at the Lighthouse, at least for any amount of time. I pop in and out every now and then and Still standing and, and going on, praise the Lord, even though I'm not there. But uh, Paul writes to our, to our brother Timothy in the second letter. He says, he says, there's faith. He said, there was faith in your mother and in your grandmother. He says, and I know that that same faith is in you. He says, and therefore, I encourage you to stir up that gift. Paul had faith not only in God, he had faith in Timothy. Paul had faith in Timothy. Our brother John brought out a scripture last night that, that he put a little twist on where he said how can a man love God if he doesn't love his brother how can a man submit to God if he can't submit to his brother I'd like to put another twist on that how can a man have faith in God if he can't have faith in his brother you see we can't have faith in a man in the world a man in the world would sell his own mother for the right price a man in the world would literally sell himself, and many do. I did. Many a time. Many a time for the right amount of prestige, for the right response. For, I tell a lie, or a half-truth, I would call it. I would sell myself out a thousand times. I would lie. I would cheat. I would abandon my friends. I couldn't be trusted when I was in the world. I couldn't be I couldn't be trusted as far as I could throw this building. But if a man is truly my brother in the blood of Jesus Christ, then I not only can trust him, I must trust him. Now Paul trusted Timothy. Paul trusted Timothy enough to put the church in Ephesus under his control. And it's fairly clear from the writings and the way Paul addresses Timothy that Timothy had a very high opinion of our brother Paul. And Paul in the Lord stood in that honor that he was being granted and exhorted Timothy with a tremendous authority and power to stir up that faith to act as 
he knew, as Paul knew, Timothy could act, to be the man that God had made and intended Timothy to be. Now, I gather from, from reading the letters to Timothy that Timothy was not a particularly aggressive brother. He was not a Paul. He was certainly not like Peter. Nor was he like our brother James. He seems to have been a fairly retiring brother. Paul really has to sort of push him, you know. Go, you know, I know you've got an anointing. Move on it. Go, stir it up. Get on that thing. I remember when I laid hands on you, brother, and there was an anointing came down on you, and there was a prophecy spoken over you. I know that was the Lord. Act on that. Because Timothy seems to have been the kind of man who is the, the, the very unassuming type of brother. Very easily he would step back and say, well, maybe there's a better man. And Paul had to push him and push him. In Hebrews the 11th chapter in the first verse, the Lord says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That's one of those scriptures that, that's really a mind-bender. You try to grasp onto that one to figure out just exactly what the Lord means there, and your head just seems to go in 14 different directions all at once. Well, I'd like to share something of what I believe the Lord means there. Two, two experiences that God, in his mercy, granted to me. There was a time when, at the lighthouse, I was I was the coordinator at the lighthouse. At this time, and uh, Brother Durkin left, and sure enough, just as soon as he walked off the land, it seemed like forty thousand demons just jumped up the cliff, you know, and just he's gone. <laughs> and it just seemed like there was confusion. And there was chaos, and there was trouble on every hand. And he'd been gone a few days, and some of the older brothers really got together, and we really felt that there was, there was a need in the body, and there was a need to minister to that need immediately. And lacking, lacking a, a true patience, lacking a true ability to sit back and say, now, wait a minute. If this work is going to fall apart in three days, there is no work here. Lacking that, that insight, we decided to act. The question, therefore, was, what do we do? <laughs> well, we, really, we were really very serious. And our hearts were all truly seeking the Lord. One of the brothers felt that he, that he really had a word from the Lord for us. And that word was that we should declare a general fast in the whole body. And so we all prayed about that. That was a pretty radical thing to do. We knew that. We were talking about over a hundred people, hundred adults. Most of them very young in the Lord. At this time, authority was still developing in the body. Authority isn't something you get. It would be an error 
for, for anyone to assume from what we've said tonight, from what the brothers have said tonight, that as soon as Brother Durkin presented the vision, immediately everybody went, oh yeah, that's right. And there was no further problems from then on. Authority is a living thing. All the things of God are living things. They grow. They grow. And at this point, in the growth of authority in our ministry, uh, it was a little shoot sticking up out of the ground with some leaves on it. It was a healthy little shoot. A very he- much healthier than we thought it was. But it was still very young. So I prayed that the final responsibility rested with me to make a decision as to whether or not we should fast or whether we should do something else. There had been a couple of other suggestions. Mind you, the real error, the real error was that we were acting. We felt a compulsive need to act. And that was our mistake. We should never, never act out of compulsion. Maybe never is too strong a word. Certainly it's something that should be done with a tremendous... uh, If ever you have to do something quickly, just be sure you do it slowly. At any rate, I I felt that this was right, and and I declared a fast. And uh, we went into the body, and we explained to the body that we were all going to fast for seven days. (laughs) And I I felt compelled to, to leave it optional. We were going to anoint the entire body, anyone who wanted to participate in this fast with oil. And anyone who did not feel that they had a witness from the Lord that this was something that they should do, should refuse that anointing, and that that would suffice us. There would be no questions asked. I think one brother and his wife refused. The rest of the body all said yes. And curiously enough, everybody had just finished eating dinner. You see? Everybody felt very, very, oh, sure, I can fast for seven days. Easy. Especially if it's the Lord. Well, this was the Thursday evening. Friday was my day off. But as things worked out, instead of getting Friday off, I went into town and worked all day. And a brother and sister who lived in Eureka had very generously opened up their home to my wife and I, a Lutheran brother and sister. There's been a lot of talk about the denominations. I have a tremendous respect for the denominations. God bless them. If I hadn't been for the denominations, we wouldn't be here. There would be no church. They'd opened their house up to my wife and I, and we went in there on Friday night. We missed the church meeting. Brother Dirk and I don't think was back in town yet. He came back the next morning. And so we had Saturday off, and all day Saturday, I had this feeling. Wow, boy. Whatever you did on Thursday night, you blew it. I had this very strong feeling that there was confusion in the body. I could just feel it. Now, there was a meeting Saturday night in Eureka. And my wife and I went to that meeting on Saturday night because we'd taken Friday night off. And Brother Durkin was back, and I walked in the door. And the brother who was, who was helping me at the ranch that time, Brother Scott, just nailed me the minute I walked through the door. And he says, oh, 
Whoa! We're in trouble. You know. I can't remember his exact words, but the gist of it was that half of the body was obedient and was saying, Amen, this is of the Lord. Although apparently a lot of them weren't really sure about that, but they were obedient. And the other half was saying, what is going on in this place, man? Everybody is weird now. And there was, there was a tremendous division in the body. Tremendous division in the body. And I went to Brother Durkin. I went to, he, was, he was back and I went to Brother Durkin and I said, what do I do? He said, whatever you do, you do it. I said, well, what do you recommend that I do? <laughs> well, without going further into that, let me say that, that I stood up in front of the body that night and told the body that I felt that I was in error and that anyone who did not feel a witness in their hearts at that time to continue the fast was free as far as I was concerned and as far as the leadership at the ranch was concerned to discontinue the fast although some continued for the full seven days God bless them the point is the point that I'm trying to make is this that I had made a very serious mistake I had made a mistake that in less than three days had brought confusion into that body of a staggering proportion. I had brought division into that body with one decision of a staggering proportion. And yet the man who had given me that authority to make that decision continued to trust me. He continued to trust me. And that's been one of the most important lessons in my walk. That I can't give authority, that no man can give authority, and then take it away again at will. That authority is a covenant in faith. And that once granted, it must be honored. Regardless of whether it makes mistakes or not. That we can't just say, well, you blew it, brother. I know I trusted you, but look what you did. He'll get down on the bottom of the pile. And we'll try somebody else for a while. Now, he could have done that. And I'd have probably get down on the bottom of the pile and say, oh, I deserve it, Lord. Oh, mercy. But I thank God that a man understood Authority that a man understood faith in the body as clearly as Brother Jim did in that situation. You see, it always comes right back down to our life experience, doesn't it? Everything that the brothers have shared tonight is experiential. Theory? How much theory can we swallow? I mean, we could all sit here, you know, we could sit here and we could say, now look at this fantastic principle here. This great mind-bending theory. We'll write a volume on it and everybody will go home and go, wow, look what I know. You know? And their heads will be about this big. You know? 
or they carry them around in wheelbarrows, they'll know someone. And yet in terms of what we've been able to apply to our lives, nothing. Oh, but we're great theoreticians. Just absolutely positive. Wonderful theoreticians. But you see, what's been shared tonight, brother, brothers, is not theory, but practice. Practice. A doing of the word. And not a hearing only. That, that experience of standing up in front of the body that night was painful and difficult for me. But I thank God that Jim had faith in me that night. He had faith in me. I want to share just one more experience with you and then I'll let you go. It's getting late. One night while I was coordinator, uh, we started sending brothers out to, to work in the mill. One, at one point, we started sending brothers out to work in the mills and certain other jobs in the community because we needed uh, some capital. We needed some money in bulk and we needed a consistent resource. You see, we've been trying to do it with odd jobs. It wasn't working out. So we started sending brothers out to get jobs. And they started going out and they'd come back and they'd turn over the paychecks. For the most part, there was no problem. But there were a few brothers, a couple of sisters, who had a consistent problem with money. Money is just heavy-duty stuff. Now, not the paper itself. Paper is paper. But the love of money, the word says, is the root of all evil. And these brothers and sisters, for all that they, they could let go of the paper felt their hearts following it wherever it went. <laughs> and one night I walked down into the dining hall and somehow all of them were there. The dining hall at the ranch. And I, I just sort of walked in and one of them walked up to me and just... And I talked to them all before, you know, one at a time here and there. You know, they'd come to me and they'd say this. And I'd say, well, God bless you, brother. I know where you're coming from, but... <clears throat> This is the way we do things, and you know we're, we're trying to help you as much as we know how. And, and this is the work of God, you know. Nobody's raking off a prophet. We just minister to them one at a time, and everything seemed to be all right. But this night they were all in one place, coincidentally. So I walked in, and one of them walked up to me, and there was a brother, and just started sharing something with me. And, and uh, I turned around, and I talked to him for a minute, and I turned around. Here was another one, and he started sharing, and then he started gathering in a little circle all around me. And it was coming like this. And I mean, it was getting heavy. I, mean, I don't mean it was getting heavy in the sense that there were four-letter words getting thrown around. Profanity very seldom, you know, comes out of the mouth of a Christian. But some of the most wicked words I've ever heard in my life, I've heard out of the mouths of Christians. Wicked because they were unloving. Wicked because they were selfish. Wicked because they were self-centered. Some of those words have even come out of my own mouth. But this night I was surrounded. Surrounded by all of these brothers and a couple of sisters. And they're just boom, boom. And there's about 30 little babes standing in a circle all around them. Just all ears. And it went on and it went on. This went on for about half an hour, just getting blasted from all sides. 
I'd try to answer one, and another one would cut me off halfway through that answer and just nail me again. This this went on and on and on, until at the end of that half hour, there wasn't enough left of me to put in an envelope. And I I almost, I just... I just told them at the end, they, they, they said, well, what do you think? You know, and I said, what do you mean, what do I think? You know? I said, I can't even talk to you. I can't even talk to you. You know, my lips are sealed. There's nothing I can say that could possibly edify you. And I walked out of there, and I walked out on the cliff at the lighthouse, and I just, you know, stood there in front of the cross. There's a, there's a cross on the cliff, and I just stood there, and I said, Lord, what are you doing to me? What, are you, what did I do? What did I do? I was a ruin, you know? I mean, I, my faith in, in my competency for, as a servant, my faith in my ability to really serve my brothers and sisters was totally destroyed. I thought the only thing I was good for was the junkie. Just put me out to pasture, man. You know? Put me out to pasture. You know, there's got to be somebody around here that knows what he's doing. Because I obviously don't know what I'm doing. You know? I was just blown out. Totally blown out. I could hardly see straight. I couldn't think. My prayers were just a jumble of, well, what, I don't know, Lord. It's just, well, he, yeah, I know, but, you know, you know, it was just. Somehow or another, somebody came and found me out on that cliff and took me over to Brother Durkin's house. Brother Durkin was living at that time on the ranch. He's not now, but he was then. And I went over there and I went into that house and I didn't see my own face, but Jim's told me since then that I was as white as a ghost. And I could believe it. I could believe it because I felt dead. I felt dead. And I walked into that house and I just sat down and I said, why don't you get somebody else? Yeah, something to that effect. Why don't you just get somebody around here who can handle this situation? Who can minister to the needs of the body? And then a wonderful thing happened. Jim, Jim said to me, he says, I know a man who can minister to the needs of the body. I said, good, who is he? He said, you. He said, you go back out there and you take over the control of this ministry. And somehow... The way he spoke to me reached into my heart and just shook me. And I said, Amen. And the whole issue was over. And I went back out there to take over the work of God again. I lost faith in myself, but there was somebody here on the earth, not only my God, but somebody here on the earth, the man who had granted me that authority in the first place, did not lose faith in me. He did not lose faith in me. He held me up in a time of trial. 
almost certainly the most severe trial I've ever experienced. Certainly the most intense. Two things then. Three points. Firstly, faith is not only in God, but in men. And the expression of that faith is that it that it trusts um, it trusts delegated authority beneath itself, even when that delegated authority is in error, even when that delegated authority is in serious error, dangerous error. It trusts. It has more faith. Do you know that God has more faith in you than you have in Him? Have you ever thought about that? He has more faith, He has infinitely more faith in you than you have in Him. Jack has so much faith. You don't have any faith. If you could see how much faith He has to have in you in order not to just throw up His hands and say, oh, oh, God, and just walk away. It just blow all of our minds how much faith he has in us. But not only must God have that faith, men must have that faith. They must have that faith when we are in error. And they must have that faith in us even when we don't have it in ourselves. We can't allow every whim or every attack of the enemy to cause a change in our, our charts. Well, I know we were going that way, but Joe says he can't handle that, so I guess he can't handle that. So now we'll go this way. Oh, but Fred says he can't. Oh, well, I guess we'll go this way. Crazy stuff. When we chart a course in the Lord, we've got to sail that course. We've got to move in that line. And if it turns out that the authority that we vested in another brother, that he proves inadequate to that, then we've got to stand with him and lift him up and provide that extra strength, provide that extra faith for him and walk with him, not take him out, not override, walk with him. Amen. These principles are eternal principles. You see, God's principle is this, that as you raise people up, you begin to develop a very stable work. And actually, those people that you raise up and that you develop love you so much, you can stay there forever. And in the world's parlay, you've got it made. But God never wants you to have it made. What he wants you to do is get to the place where you really are useless on that level. And by becoming useless, what he has done is given you a chance to raise your sights up a little higher and to look around. See, this thing is its going now. And God has pushed you out into unfamiliar territory again. And you're in that place where you have to once again call out to God and say, God, what would you have me to do? What am I doing out here? I, I don't understand anything. I, I, I thought I'd learned something, and here I did what you told me to do. And Lord, now I'm out here with nothing to do. Now what? And then once again comes that glorious, eternal revelation of the Spirit. Look up. Lift up your eyes and see the harvest fields. They're white under harvest. And your vision takes in a wider expanse. And you begin to move out in those areas again, see? 
Now our brother having made himself useless, at the same time God was laying a vision on me of raising up teams of men and women who would go out from our ministry and they'd be pastoral teams as our brother Ron Junkle came and laid down to me a vision for evangelical teams. Now this vision of pastoral teams being raised up and sent out and then our brother Bob Means has come to me and laid down the vision of teaching teams and prophetic teams going out to serve the body everywhere. I was catching this vision of pastoral teams and it wasn't my idea. I have very few ideas that are my own. They just, sometimes I pick them up from other people and once in a while I read about them and anyhow it came to me and I saw it was of God and we were getting ready to raise up this team. Brother Tom met me, I forget where it was, either down to cabin or I went down there. And he said, Brother Jim, he said, I just feel my work is coming to an end here. He said, the body is stable. They don't need me. I can come and go as I please. And nobody even misses me anymore. They all love me. And everything is just as solid as a rock here. But he said, I feel God is just pulling me loose here. And I laid down to Tom my vision, told him about New York. And he began to pray about it. And he came to me and he said, Brother Jim... He said, I think it's God telling me to go back to New York. Well, I'll tell you, when he gets back there, he won't be useless. He's going to have to get his sleeve rolled up and go to work. But he's going to practice the same thing back there. And I'll guarantee you what will happen back there. People will begin to come to Christ. A body will begin to form. And he'll begin raising up strong men and women everywhere. And pretty soon he'll become useless there. And then his vision will broaden and broaden and broaden and broaden. And that's God's way of enlarging you, extending his authority, raising up the body, perfecting it. What I'm talking to you about tonight is something intensely practical. I'm not talking about hierarchical authority and somebody getting the thumb on somebody and who's going to have the one-upmanship over someone else. I'm talking to you about the very force and life of God that causes the ministry to move and accomplish God's purpose in the earth. And that is the exaltation of his son, Jesus Christ. I wonder if you'd all stand with me now, please. Seek ye sister and then let's sing it again
bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Hallelujah.